want to continue on with the, uh, with the articles of faith that we are going through. And in Jude chapter 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. As I mentioned the last time we started the Articles of Faith, I feel a desire, I trust it's a burden of the Lord, to encourage you in the principles that our forefathers embraced in starting up the church here at Mount Carmel and in going through and making sure that we understand uh, what the church represents. Uh, It is not necessarily a requirement when someone seeks baptism to understand the articles of faith, but I believe it's important to understand them and have an overview. And if there's any questions, it's great to read through them and answer those questions ahead of time. Uh, When I read through them with one gentleman and uh, uh, we began to talk about the feet washing portion of our communion service, he said, I wasn't brought up believing that and I don't embrace that. And he said, therefore, I choose not to unite with the church. This has been many years ago, but uh, I was glad that uh, he and I were able to discuss it. I was sorry that he didn't embrace that. But I think it's really good that we understand at least an overview of what don't have to understand every single detail. And we don't have to all see it exactly the same way. I'm still learning and I'm still growing. But it's great to have a good overview of what the church represents and what the articles are. Now, the articles are not the inspired word of God. The articles were written by men that summarized what we believe the scriptures to teach. And so as we go through these articles, they are very important, identifying marks that we believe identify the New Testament church. If we deviate from the principles that are in the New Testament, then we're deviating from the apostles' doctrine and practice. And so we go over through these and we ask that God bless us and that they serve as a reminder of what we believe that the scriptures teach, a summary of what we believe that the scriptures teach, not all inclusive. And some of these were really important for the day in which they lived. Uh, These were probably passed down from churches in North Carolina, Virginia, maybe in the south. That's where the ministers came from, uh, from Primitive Baptist churches in uh, North Carolina and Virginia when they started the Mount Carmel Church. It's interesting. You can read and compare the articles of faith of most primitive or old school Baptist churches around the country. And in most cases, the articles of faith will correlate very similar together. They may be worded differently, but the principles are very, very much the same. Now, the third article. I hope this is not boring to you. I hope it's a blessing, and I hope that, uh, that it'll be something that you can uh, take home with you and um, that it will be a blessing to you. Sister Kathy's going to print up the articles, and not all of our articles have scriptures beside them. We're, we're putting those beside them, but we may go ahead and print them up even before that and have them on the table for you to pick up, and so you'll have a list of them. We're also working on a new church directory. Our articles of faith are in the church directory, and so we're going to try to get a, a name list out there and update the addresses and update our, our church directory as well. The third one is the one I'm going to talk about today if and uh, maybe get down to the fourth, but The third one is, uh, it's important that we understand it 
correctly. It's a very important article. I want to start with the first and, and go over the first couple and then uh, address the third one. Number one, we believe that there is but one true and living God and that in the Godhead there are three persons, God the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that these three are one. Number two, we believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures, that's the Word of God, the Bible, we believe that the Old and New Testament scriptures were given by the inspiration of God, and we accept them as being the only complete and unerring rule of faith and practice. Number three, uh, and I'm going to ask you to pray that the Lord bless me to be in the right spirit and that he bless me with the Holy Spirit to be able to deliver the message. I need the presence of the Lord in bringing a message. And if the Lord blesses and honors his uh, message messenger in preaching the word, then he'll be glorified in it. So you pray for me as we enter into this one. Number three, we believe that God has always pursued his own infinitely wise plan in all of his works and ways, and that he will ever continue so to do. Hence, all things brought to pass by him are but the result of his holy and wise and determinate counsel from eternity. Now, it's important to realize that it doesn't say that all things are brought to pass by him, but all things that he chooses to bring pass, he does it right. In fact, everything that he does is always right. So let's look at, it helps me to understand, and I hope you'll be able to hold on to this as well, that it helps me to understand and I learned I'm real, I'm real simple. Uh, yesterday at the New York meeting, uh, we were able to get a bunch of pictures. And uh, uh, we, one of the pictures that was taken was uh, from four of the individuals that are there that have PhDs. Well, I hate to disappoint you. I was not in that picture. <laughs> I, it re, it, I require real simple lessons in order to be able to learn. So in order to be able to understand this article, I'm not trying to complicate it, but I want to share some simple lessons that maybe you'll be able to hold on to and remember and be able to explain this article that apparently our forefathers felt was very important for the church to embrace and to hold on to as uh, an article that would represent what the church believes the scriptures teach. So I'll read it again, not trying to complicate it. We believe that God has always pursued his own infinitely wise plan in all of his works and his ways, and that he will ever continue to do so. And hence, all things brought to pass by him are but the result of his holy and wise and determinate counsel from all eternity. So let's start and see if we can figure out some of the things that God brings to pass by himself without our help. Some of the things that God has purposed in his plan that he fulfills by himself. Let's go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1. 
we'll find that God didn't have anybody to help him there. It says in Genesis chapter 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't need any help in that. God didn't need any assistance in that. God didn't need any participation from man in that. That was predetermined by God and God did it all by himself. He says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It says the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it says uh, that God said, let there be light and there was light. So that's one of the things that God determined and God fulfilled and he did it all by himself. God created the earth. God uh, spoke light into existence. And then he comes down and he says that, uh, and I'm just going to paraphrase this. Uh, You can read it yourself. Uh, All of chapter one is really, really good. It says that God created uh, the grass of the field. God created the seed. God created uh, the herbs, uh, to the, the, the seed to bring forth uh, fruit. And it says that, that all of the creation that God was doing, that God himself, he didn't depend upon somebody else to look at it and say, that's good. God himself looked at it and he, he looked at it and he said, what I've created is good. So we have the basis right here in the beginning that everything that God does always is good. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of heads up that not everything that we do always is always good. Anybody join me in that? I, I, you should. Well, maybe you will by the time it's over with. Everything that God does is good. And God said, I created it and it's good. And then he comes down and it says that uh, God made the light. And it it says in verse 16, I like how he writes it right here. And I do believe this is the inspired word of God. He says, and God made two great lights. He made the greater light to rule by day and the lesser light to rule by night. And he says, oh, by the way, he made the stars also. And he says, it's good. Everything that God did, everything that God created is good. And then he comes down and it says that God created the fowls of the air. And that God gave life and, 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 and the whales and the living creatures and, and every living thing. And, and in verse 21, it says that after God created all of the animals and the whales and the fishes and all of that, God said, and it is good. So all that God is doing is good. And then he comes down and he says, uh, and, he, and he gives them the instruction to be fruitful and to multiply. Uh, and he says, let it multiply the earth. And he says, the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Now, where is man? God hasn't created man yet. I've heard it said, and I wouldn't argue with it. I've heard it said that God created man on the last day. You, you, you know why he did that? I mean, we don't know fully the mind of God, but God created man on the last day because if God had created man on the first day, then man would have probably claimed some of the credit for all these other things that God created. But God created everything else. And when there was no room for discussion, when it was just as clear as it could be that God had created everything and everything was good. Then God comes on the scene and he says, now I'm going to create man. And God creates man. God does things in such a way that he gets all the glory. He does. And it says that God created man. And it says that uh, he said, let us make man in our image. 
and, uh, and, it, and then God breathed into man and gave him life. And uh, then verse 28, and Brother Asa is fulfilling this verse and Sister Carla, and God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And uh, we are blessed to have folks that are wonderful blessing that we've got four moms that are about to have babies and they're fulfilling this commandment that God had given them right here. So God created man. And then it says, God saw everything, verse 31, that he had made. And behold, it was very good. So this is one of the, one of the purposes that, that God had. Another one that, uh, that God does. And, and, and God doesn't need any help in, in doing this. Psalm 139. Another thing that, that God does. Psalm 139 says, For thou hast, verse 13 I'll read, and verse 14, 15 is the one I really want. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Sister Tracy is holding her newborn grandson, Caleb, that's about three months old. And that's a fulfillment of this verse right here. God is the giver of natural life. He is. He says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. God is the giver of natural life. And we should value the blessing and the gift of life the way that God does. It's very sad, but in the culture in which we live, there's not the respect and regard for life the way God views it. It's sad in our culture today that it's even a consideration about the life of the unborn child. Is that important to God? Yes, it is. It's sad in the culture today that when we get old, that we think that if somebody doesn't have the quality of life that we think that they ought to have, that we begin to question whether or not they should have life at all. God is the giver of life. And I'm not saying take heroic measures to sustain life. But it's not a heroic measure to give somebody something to eat and something to drink when they get old and they face old age. We are to nurture life and sustain life. 
to whatever degree and ability that God has blessed us with. Now, if you think that God is turning his head to the tragedy, the tragic way that we view life as a country and a nation, don't be fooled by that. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the first one that died and the first one that murdered his brother. And look at what he says. God sees what's going on. And God knows what's going on. And look at what he says right here. God approaches Cain. And Abel, uh, Cain had slain Abel. And he says, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, and here's how he responded, how Cain responded. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I in charge of my brother? Well, God knew exactly what had happened and knew the situation full well. But, but consider this right here. And he says right here, he says, and he said, God said, and what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. This one that was slain, that the, you can interpret that how you will, but it basically, from what I understand, that if there's a slain life, whether it's an infant or an elderly or anywhere in between, the voice of that slain one cries unto the Lord. And so the Lord is not unaware or unmindful of our sinful approach, even as a country or as a nation. God is the giver of life and we should value life and we should treasure life. And, and by the way, God is the one that made you the way you are. If you're a young man, God made you a young man. If you're a young lady, God made you a young lady and God doesn't make mistakes. He made it just right and perfectly. And our role is to fulfill the, uh, the, uh, the role that God has given us as a godly young man, as a godly young woman, as an older sister in the church. Our role is to fulfill the calling that God has given us. But God's the one that calls us and gives us life. And we should value life. So that's one of the things that God does, and he does it just right all the time. Another thing that God does, God not only is in charge of giving us natural life. God knows who you are, and God knows where you are, and God knew you from before the foundation of the world. But God also is in charge of giving you spiritual life. There's not any assistance, there's not any aid, there's not any discussion, there's not a preacher, there's not an evangelist that gives you spiritual life. God gives you spiritual life. And when he does it, it's effective all the time. Let's look at what he says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For we know. That if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with, with our house, which is in heaven. We're told it is a 
wonderful and great blessing to have this spiritual life within us. And God is the one that gives us this spiritual life. Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world. It says that God gives us and quickens us and blesses us with spiritual life. You can go over and read in John chapter 6, several places right there, that it is the Lord that calls us, it's the Lord that blesses, and the Lord that's in charge of giving us spiritual life. We can't conjure it up. We can't make it up. We can't purchase it. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you have spiritual life, it is a gift and a blessing from Almighty God. And he purposed to give you spiritual life from before the foundation of the world. And he will fulfill that purpose at some point in time in your life. It may be that you experience, at least it was a manifestation of the spiritual life that John had when he leapt for joy in his mother's womb. I'm not sure if God had planted it there before that, but at a minimum, it was a manifestation when John heard this, when uh, when Elizabeth heard the salutation and John was in the presence in his mother's womb. And it says that John leapt for joy in his mother's womb. There was something that caused him to leap for joy. Uh, It did uh, resonate with the message, the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, John had to have spiritual life. We also understand that David was made to hope while upon his mother's breast. So God can plant his spirit within an individual while they're yet in their mother's womb. God can do it when they're upon their mother's breast. Or if God chooses to do it like the thief on the cross, the evidence at least of the of the the change in the thief on the cross. And when God plants his spirit within the life of somebody, they're a different individual. And that's exactly what happened with the thief on the cross. He was different after the Lord worked in his life. So God can plant his spirit at any point in time he chooses, and he does it according to his sovereign will as he chooses to do. Now, I'm going to just really try to get through this real, real quick. This is so good. We're not going to go to uh, um, a, 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 another article. Hopefully get through this one and pray the Lord bless. All right. God gives us. Natural life and God gives us spiritual life. What else does God give us that God does completely, purposely, and fully? Let's run over to the New Testament and let's look at Romans chapter 8. Now, I've been among the old Baptists 43 years. And my pastor and the folks that I grew up with did a wonderful job explaining this portion of text to me. And I'll try to explain it to you the same. And my grandparents. And we know. There's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot more things that I don't know than what I do know. But here's one thing that we do know. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, there's great discussions about what all things are. I was blessed to have wonderful fathers in the ministry that labored among the old Baptists in a peaceful manner. One of the greatest lessons that I remember on this was Elder Compton, 
at past 100 years of age of explaining what his understanding of all things were. Elder Compton said in his explanation, he said, Brother Stephen, all things are not everything. All things, in his understanding, was specifically the five things that are mentioned right below this. Now, if you want to take it further than that, I do believe that God works in our lives in a mighty way. But I don't believe that, God, that all things is everything. Let's look what he says. Brother Compton used the example of his wife cooking a cherry pie. And he said, if my wife's going to make a cherry pie, she's going to get all the ingredients that are necessary for that cherry pie. But she's not going to put everything in that cherry pie. He'd say she's not going to go out and get a handful of sand or gravel or stone and put it in this pie. But she's going to get all things that are necessary for that cherry pie. Well, I could understand something like that. Look what he says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, first of all, let me, let me say something here. That all things that God does is good. And all things that God works is good. I can take something good and make it bad. I can. But God, who has all power, can take something bad and make it good. I did not say that God takes everything bad and makes it good. But God can take something bad and make it good. I can't even take something good and keep it good. I take something good and I end up making it bad. God has the ability to take something bad and make it good. If God so chooses to do it. I did not say that God takes everything bad and works it for our good. But let me show you what I believe it teaches. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that God gives natural life. We believe that God gives spiritual life. We also believe that God secured our home in heaven for us and that he did it fully by himself. Completely. And it was very good, by the way. I'll add that on there. And he says right here, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. First of all, it defines a group right there. It doesn't say that it's everybody. It says right here that all things work together for good to them that are called according to the purpose of God. It begins to name a group of people to those that are called according to the purpose of God. You have the assurance that there are some things that are working for your good. And I can assure you that everything that God does for you works for your good and for his glory. Now, look what he says. Brother Compton said, I think it's these five things. If somebody wants to take it a little further than that, that's okay. But I'm comfortable with these five things right here. For whom he did foreknow. And that, is, that does not mean, it's sad that we have to define this in the day in which we live, but we do. Some folks might say, well, I, I know that God foreknows everything because God knows all things. God can go back into eternity past and into eternity in the future and God knows all things. And that foreknowledge simply means that God looked down through the annals of time and saw what you would or would not do, whether you would or would not accept him. And as a result of that, he based all these, uh, these uh, four remaining things on what you would do. That's not what foreknowledge is. 
Foreknowledge is God looking down through time and loving you as an heir of grace according to his sovereign grace and according to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he says, and uh, for whom he did foreknow. The emphasis right there is not on us, but on him upon whom he foreknew, not on whom we foreknew, but it's upon whom he foreknew. It says, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, there's five points right here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And those he called, them he also justified. And those that he justified, he also glorified. The same number that God starts out with in foreknowing his people, in calling his people, in predestinating his people and glorifying his people is exactly the same number. There's not any additions. There's not any surprises. And there's not anybody that's going to be lost. There's not. It's exactly the same number. Now, God does that and he does it all by himself. And you and I are the beneficiaries of it. So that's something that God does for us. Let me tell you something else God does for us. Satan would like to hold your sin against you. I hope you heard Brother Bradley this morning. Really, 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 really good message. Go back and Google it. Brother Mark, Brother Cook can tell you how to find it on the Internet. It was really, really good today. Brother Bradley said one man came up to him and he said, well, Brother Bradley ministers in prison ministries. Even at 84 years of age, he, he, he ministers around and God is blessing him. And he said, one man came to him. He said, well, I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. Brother Bradley said, there's not any scriptures that address you forgiving yourself. You're forgiven by the grace of almighty God. He said, I'm having a hard time with guilt. Brother Bradley said, you are guilty. You are guilty. Well, we are guilty. We ought to feel guilty. But we also ought to know that we're forgiven, not because we're so good, but by the grace of almighty God. All right, here's a couple of things that, that's super important. Satan would like to hold something to your charge, especially on the resurrection day. Here's another thing that God did. God defeated Satan in such a way that Satan can't hold anything to your charge. Here's another thing that God does. He doesn't need any help in. God placed his love upon us when we were yet unlovable. He tells us right here, he says, uh, he, he says, uh, who shall lay anything to the charge of elect? It's God that justifieth. And then he comes on down and he says uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's saying all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he said, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. He, he goes through it. He says, there's not anything at all. It's really rich. Please go home and read it. But I want to get to the next couple of points. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God because God placed his love upon you and he did it all by himself and he didn't need any help and he did it and it was good and very good. Now, here's what this article does not teach. This is at least the way I interpret it. Brother Steve can correct me if I'm wrong on this. 
We believe that God has always pursued his own infinitely wise plan in all his works and ways and that he will ever continue to do so. Hence, all things brought to pass by him are but the result of his holy, wise, determinate counsel from all eternity. Anybody here ever do anything that God has told you not to do? Well, there was an individual that did that. His name was Jonah. Do you always do everything God tells you to do? Jonah was a preacher. Now, you'd think that he'd listen to the Lord. But the Lord told Jonah, he says, you go to Nineveh and you preach. And Jonah had a whole list of reasons he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. But it says that Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. Jonah decided to go up in a different, different path. My mother asked me last week, she said, would you like to go on a cruise? And I said, not really. And she said, why not? And I said, well, I can't swim. That's, that's the reason I'm not too fond of it. She says, you won't have to worry about swimming. She said, the boat's big enough. You won't have to worry about that. And I said, I just, a lot of other places I'd like to go, but a cruise is just not one of them. She said, would you go if I asked you to? And I said, yes, but I'm not excited about going on a cruise. And I think about this story when I think about a cruise. Jonah thought he was going to take a cruise. And he decided that he was going to run from the Lord. Let me just give you a little insight here. If you're going to run from the Lord, I don't recommend that you take a cruise. And I don't recommend you get on a plane if you're going to run from the Lord. Look at Jonah's experience. It says the Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. But Jonah decided that he had different plans. And so Jonah decided to go to Tarshish. And it says that he decided to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I know I'm pretty simple, but I, I am not able to connect the dots and see where God would tell Jonah to go preach the gospel somewhere. And then Jonah would refuse on his own accord to go what, do what God had called him to do. And then God reprimand Jonah, punish Jonah for what he did. And that to view that all of this was arranged by God. I believe Jonah went of his own accord the wrong way. And I believe that when you and I make the choice to go away from the Lord, we can't, bring, uh, we can't blame God for that. That is not what's being embraced in this third article right here. It does not mean that God arranged things in such a way that when we go away from the Lord, which means sin... That when we sin, that we can blame it on God and say, God ordained this from before the foundation of the world and put the blame on God. If we go away from the Lord, the only person that gets the blame for that is ourselves and Satan. That's who that's who gets the credit for that. I like what Brother Zach Guest says. He says, anything that's good, you give God the credit. Anything that's bad, you give me the credit. Well, that's that's a good, simple way to summarize it right here. It says right here, two different places. It says that Jonah rose up to flee from the Lord. 
That's not of the Lord when that God does not cause you to flee from him. If we flee from the Lord, it's of our own accord, not because God makes us to do that. Now, and I have proof for that, just in case you're, you're doubting whether, whether I do or not. James, let's go to James. In the book of James, it tells us uh, right here in verse uh, chapter one, he said, let no man say when he's tempted. He said, let no man say when he's tempted that I am tempted of God. So we cannot we cannot connect the dots and blame our sin upon God. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a just God. God demands justice. God demanded a penalty for our sins, but God does not cause us to sin. Now, let me explain it this way. God causes or allows things to happen. I'll give you an example. You've probably been at the restaurant and you've been there in a setting where maybe there was a family that had young children and you could tell there had been no restraints given at home. And then when they get to the restaurant, they're playing on the tables. They're just, it's just total chaos. And you think, Somebody missed out on something at home. Now you're saying, well, Brother Stephen, you don't have a bunch of kids, so it's easy for you to say. But clearly, if we're left to ourselves, whether it's children, whether it's adults, whether it's older folks, if we're left to ourselves, we're going to go the wrong way all the time. And we don't need any help from God to do that. That's our natural inclination to go the wrong way. You look at children that have been brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's a difference. They may not be perfect, but they've been exposed and taught in a godly direction. So look what he says right here. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted with God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So let's see who is at the blame of our sin. He says... But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, it bringeth, it's finished, it bringeth forth death. And then he gives us a charge right here. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So he says right here that we can't say when we're tempted or when we give into sin that it's because God caused us to do it. Now, let me explain it this way. In Job chapter 1, when Satan wanted to attack Job, Satan could only attack Job as much as what God would allow him to. Satan wanted to destroy Job's life. And God placed a hedge round about Job. I don't know how God does it with all of his people, but I do believe that there's a hedge round about us in some fashion. I don't know about you, but I believe in angels. And I believe they're protecting me. I believe in guardian angels. I believe in protecting angels. And I believe that they've delivered me and protected me and saved me from a variety of ways. And God can place a hedge round about us. And I'm sure these mothers that are here that haven't even had their children delivered yet. Elsa and and, um, Catherine and um, the others. They're already praying for those children. That God will put a hedge of protection about them. Yes, things are bad in many cases and in many areas. But if it wasn't for the protecting 
grace and the hedge of grace of our Lord, it'd be a whole lot worse. This United States that we live in, God had, has shed his grace upon us. And God has preserved us. It's not perfect by any means. But God's had mercy upon us. And it may be that he has these little testimonies of individuals meeting across the country. Attempting to worship him in spirit and in truth. And God has mercy upon us. So. What. This means from what I understand. Is that. All things that God does. He does sovereignly by his choice. And he does it. And it's always good. And it's for his glory. But God doesn't do everything. He does not cause us to sin. He doesn't cause us to go from the Lord. And when we do that, we blame our own sinful nature in doing it. That's, that's where the blame lies in it. Here's what in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 16, we'll sum it up. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. The things that are visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. I hope that's helped a little bit in understanding this third article. Probably uh, when they embraced this, they didn't make it as complicated as I did in figuring it out and expressing it. But I hope it was uh, a little bit enlightening to you on that. There's, uh, there's uh, six more articles that we'll be looking at. And we'll try to condense the next few because they're, they're uh, really, really good. They're about our salvation and um, they can be combined and uh, we'll try to condense those together. But look forward to continuing on through the Articles of Faith and pray it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.